The question I've got with many of these stories is what next? It's a question I'm asking in my own climbing all the time as well. Sometimes the answer's obvious, but there are other times where it's not. And upping the ante clearly has a limit. That limit doesn't remain constant. Changes in fitness, circumstance and the world around you have a big impact. And over the past 20 years, my own enjoyment and motivations and satisfaction has changed a lot. I think that's a process most of us go through. You're listening to Factor 2 from UK Climbing. We finished that kind of three months in America, me and Ivan and Jason. You know, we'd done free ride a day, we nipped up with nose, not, you know, not free, but we nipped up that in like, you know, 11 hours. And we did Astro Man one afternoon, like it was nothing. You know, and that's not kind of me being like, oh, you know, we're so good. But it was, we were just, we were doing so, so much, so many kind of long routes. And, you know, we were really fast, really efficient. A, we'd had a great time. And we were like, it's just, it's just brilliant. But we were also kind of like, you know, well, what's the, what's the next step with this sort of, you know, this, this fitness and this confidence we've got? Um, and we were just like, yeah, you know, me and Ivan were just like, right, let's, let's go to Patagonia. And Ivan had never held an ice axe. But he lived in Switzerland, so, he, so I was just like, right, well, we'll go home and just, you know, get some ice axes and, you know, some crampons and at least learn how to put them on and go and go and use them a little bit. So he did that. Um, and I went home. And I maybe did a tiny bit of work and basically just got a credit card and just told my mum, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to Patagonia. And I just put it all on, you know, just put it all on my credit card. You know, both my, my mum and dad were, were amazing when I was growing up, so... You know, my mum probably influenced my climbing less because she wasn't climbing, but she, you know, she was very supportive, put a lot of time, you know, going, you know, going belaying at crags when she wasn't climbing anymore. But she just enjoyed being out out with us. But my dad, so when I was, when I was young, he was probably climbing his best when I was probably about eight or nine, which is probably when I kind of got most, first got really keen on it. You know, it had been very easy and I could understand from my point of view now if, you know, my daughter didn't really climb much, but if, if that's when she'd got keen, I'd have still wanted to do my climbing. You know, I'd want to go off and do stuff which would be too hard for her. Well, he he almost stopped climbing. He didn't stop climbing with his mates because he went to the same crags, but he would almost, if, if I wanted to climb, he would just climb with me. And he really enjoyed doing routes at my my level. So even, you know, at that point, the routes were, were quite easy for him. And he just, just loved doing them and doing them with me. But he never, you know, he never made me climb at all so we'd have weekends we'd go away to go climbing and if I you know if I wasn't enjoying that first route I'd just be like oh well you don't you don't need to climb we're not gonna we're not gonna make you climb and either we'd go and do something else entirely or maybe my dad would go and climb with someone else but you know there was never any kind of like pressure to to climb and I think yeah definitely in in my case you know I I climb because I enjoy it there's no like I say I've had that you know, you've had that success in comps in the past or had your pitch in the mag. So I'm not, I never feel like I need to climb to get some kind of worth of who I am or I'm good. I'm, you know, I don't need that kind of, don't need that. I don't want to come home and put pictures on Instagram or kind of get get that, you know, it's just like, well, it's, it's what I enjoy doing. And, you know, if I'm climbing hard, great. But if I'm not, you know, it, it, it doesn't really bother me now. My mum was someone who enjoyed doing easy routes in the mount, like in the lakes. That was kind of like her favourite thing was to go and do a, a severe or a mod or a VS maybe in the lakes, you know, a few pitches long. 
and not be scared on it and not have a hard time and climb it. And she was like, that's what she liked. And my dad, he, he liked that, but he liked to get on a route which was almost too hard for him and get, he, he never got super scared, but he made out, like he, he wasn't a really bold climber, but he would just witter and yell and make all these noises like he was having a, you know, horrendous time. He'd be like with loads of runners right by him, like 10 runners, and he'd be going on about how strong how he was, how scared he was, how pumped he was, all of this, like telling everyone, you know. But then afterwards, he, you know, that you could tell that he, he loved that. I can remember when I did Great Western for the first time, which is, you know, a classic hard BS at Armscliffe, so near where I was born. I did it in that first year of climbing. But my dad, you know, obviously chatting to him like before I did it, he was like, oh, you know, Great Western. Oh, I can move where you go to, you know, and he, he, he could obviously remember all of that. And when he'd done it, you know, back in the day with just a sling around the spike or whatever, it was obviously quite a big deal for him. And he, yeah, he could remember that. And he was living, he was telling it to me. And then I went on it and I was like, well, this is amazing. You know, remember all that. But and it was the same for me. Like I, you maybe didn't enjoy the struggle at the time, but they were the ones which afterwards you were like, that was brilliant. That time when I was, I almost gave up or I almost turned around or I almost didn't commit. You know, that's what afterwards you like. That was, that was brilliant. That's what kind of climbing's about, isn't it? And that's what you, that's what you're chatting the pubs about now, isn't it? When I go with my mates, you don't chatting about that time you were cruising up eight seas in, in Spain or whatever. You kind of talk about that. Not that I ever have. Um, but, you know, you talk about that time you were really scared and you had, you know, had that battle on that loose tragedy or whatever. They're kind of the ones which, which you remember and which you, I think, which, or which I kind of climb for, even though I do it much less now. It, it definitely felt... A lot, a lot more wild than pretty much anywhere I'd, I'd been. I'd been to Greenland, done a big wall in Greenland. I'd done some stuff in the Alps, um, mostly in summer, but some snowy ones and some rock, you know, big rock routes. So I'd, you know, I had done some stuff, but it was me, Adam and Adam Long who went on that trip and we, we turned up and yeah, we hadn't, we hadn't got a huge amount of experience. Um, and, you know, talking about that time I, I drove into Yosemite, you know, the first time I walked into the Torre Valley, it, it was that same experience. You know, it, it's much bigger and, and more wild, but I guess I, as a climber, I'd, I'd seen more stuff back and I'd done El Cap. But, you know, walking up the Torre Valley, I was just like, wow, this is, you know, this is insane. You know, you've got the Cerritore and Torrega and, and stuff on, on your left, and you've got Pontsnot and Fitzroy and stuff on your right, and it's just like, wow, you know, this is, this is insane. And particularly for people who are into, you know, big, long, mostly rocky, but, you know, big, steep technical kind of alpine climbing you're just like wow this is this is incredible so that, that was pretty wild but we, we didn't we didn't go out like expecting to tear the place up you know we went and did one of the easiest routes you know we did the, the um Willens coast train on on points not so you know the big snow ramp um probably one of the best routes we've ever done you know really strong natural line but you know it's not super hard the, the rock and it's like hard vs the snow ramps probably no more than grade four and there's maybe a couple of mixed pitches in between but you know it wasn't wasn't a big deal so that was the route we were kind of aiming to to do to get going and we ended up i think the weather window was like day two so we'd arrived and we hadn't even shopped properly i know on push day like me and ivan the food me and ivan had adam had loads of sweets he'd got with, with him and adam had some power gels which he'd brought with him um, but me and Ivan hadn't brought anything. Um, and we went to like a shopping town. We'd bought like, I think we had a block of cheese and a pepper. So that was like the food we took on the climb was like a block and cheese and a pepper. <laughs> we were eating this stuff. And Adam was like eating these Haribos and stuff the whole, the whole day. And we got to the top and 
me and Adam were like, oh, we're really tired. So, so Adam gave us an energy gel to share. So we shared his energy gel, me and Adam, the little boost energy gel and, and have sailed down. But yeah, it was amazing. And I think we were maybe the only people who topped anything in Patagonia that year. It was re- even that day, the day we topped out was really pretty bad weather. But we were, you're more sheltered on that side, but we were kind of like, well, this isn't that bad. And I've, I've climbed in Scotland in weather like this, you know, this doesn't seem too bad. So we just kind of carried on. And then absolutely down, you very quickly got off kind of off the ridge and onto that snow ramp, which was pretty sheltered, you know, and obviously back into big boots at that point, you know, back into your, your winter climbing gear. I, I, Adam went, kind of went home. He went to Piney and walked around there and then went home. But me and Ivan basically hung out in, in Charlton for two months, not really climbing. Never got never got on a route again, a big route, I don't think. Walked up Valley a lot. Um, but it was, yeah, it was pre-internet, pre-tarmac road. So you couldn't really get weather forecasts. You were just looking at the pressure on your, on your watch and making vague decisions about what you thought the weather was doing. And every time it looked like it was getting good, you'd walk in and then mostly it'd just shit out. But we had a great time. You know, we didn't, it wasn't like we were sat moping around. We were like, this is, yeah, this is great. Look where we are. And we're kind of doing bits of bouldering and, you know, hanging out. We hang out with Kevin, Kevin Cora and Alan Mullen up in, up in Guitares, up in um, Bridwell. Whatever that, uh, the camp up there, it was called, yeah, Bridwell. Um, you know, hanging out in the hut. been demolished now but that hurt was amazing like it was horrible but amazing it had all these kind of carved telephones and, you know all the climbers had been there for for years had kind of in the bad weather and tried to make the hut a little bit nicer so there'd be like little carved mice and little like a pretend wooden telephone so you could pretend to ring people and then some people had made like a pizza oven you weren't allowed to burn wood anymore so it was kind of useless this pizza oven but it was this pizza oven and um and we basically made it our own. So all the, all the people who were trekking would come up and try and like hang out and hurt and we'd just be really, really nasty to them, basically. Kevin would either play techno really loud or he had Harry Potter on audiobook. So they were like, the only two things we'd listen to was either Harry Potter or techno. Regardless of the time of the day, he was one of these people, he's like Sam Whittaker, one of the few people who can put techno on at like nine in the morning completely sober and like yeah it's brilliant <laughs> Kevin was like that so you'd get up and have like your coffee in the morning and it'd be like industrial acid techno playing you were having a you're having a great time we met Bean that first year so I'd met Bean in in America uh, me and Ivan and, and Jace had met Bean at the Needles and we'd we'd got on really well with him and we just hung out and you know had a, had a few evenings kind of drinking and hanging out and I think we maybe climbed with him a little bit but he was kind of with other partners but you know we, we hung out with Bean and then that first year in Patagonia we literally came down off once and up and we were wandering along the high street trying to get some food probably because we hadn't been shopping and we bumped into Bean and he was like oh how did it go and we, he was kind of chatting and it was kind of this weird conversation because he'd I think he's just assumed we'd turned round because basically everyone who'd gone climbing in that window had turned round before the top and we were chatting about this route because he knew we were trying a Willens route. That's what we'd gone to do. And he was like, and eventually he was like, oh, so how, how high did you get on it? And we were like, oh, we, we got to the top. And I think he was kind of, like he knew me and Ivan were really good on rocks. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd seen us out in America. But I think he was kind of like, oh, wow, well, you know, you, well, you, you can actually do stuff in the mountains. You know, he was in, because like I said, I don't think anyone else had topped out in that window. I don't think anyone's topped a route that year. Um, so he was like, wow, well, you guys are actually, 
you know, fairly decent. He really wanted to do a Torre Travis, which hadn't been done at that time. So starting at Stan Hart and Punta Heron, Torriega, and finishing up what I guess the top half of the Maestri route on, on Serra Torre. So he really wanted to do that. And me and Ivan were just kind of like, well, yeah, okay. So we went back that second year with that kind of as we aim, which I guess pretty much one of the kind of biggest Alpine objectives in the world almost at that point. You know, for of that style, you know, obviously not compared to stuff in Himalayas, but of that sort of sort of style, it was one of the biggest unclimb objectives. And for some reason, me and Ivan, who, you know, Ivan had barely held an ice axe until two year before, somehow we were turning up supposedly off to Tiger Skin. <laughs> but largely that was, you know, Beans Beans motivation. Um, and he and he was obviously a lot more experienced than us in that sort of terrain. So I think it'd have been we never actually had whoever to get on it, but I think it would have been a, a reasonably good team on it. So El Chalten is, is a little town. It's got a lot bigger now, I think. Um, it was kind of booming when we were there. So I came back the second year and you could see how even in that time it had changed. And then you've, depending on which way you're going, you either go up to Rio Blanco um, to, to go into like the um, North Pillar of Fitzroy and, and things like that. That's sort of side of Fitzroy and Princeton, or you go up to Bridwell to go into the Torrey Valley. And there were hooks at both of them. So back in, in those days of pre-weather forecast, you basically base yourself up at those those camps because you were that much closer to the mountains, which when you were, I guess when you didn't have a reliable forecast, you were walking up and down a lot more and that just saved that, that time. So it's still another kind of four or five hours into the bivvies at the base of the, for the, for the routes. You know, you were slaying in tents because this little wooden, wooden hut and basically it, it seemed like every time like a climber left or had a knackered tent, they'd like just put the tent on the roof of the hut like just add the canvas there. If they had a tarp, we'd leave it there. So it was like layers and layers of old rotting tarps on the roof. Um, and it, it still leaked a little bit. And there were these caterpillars that first year, which if they dropped on you, you got like horrible rash. There were hundreds of these caterpillars that you'd be sat in the hurt and this caterpillar would like drop on your neck and you'd be like trying to fight it off you before you got a big a big rash. Um, but so you basically hung out hung out there being kind of fairly, fairly scundy. We were, we were fairly scundy that year. <laughs> Maybe partly Alan's influence. <laughs> um, but we drank a lot of cheap wine. But, you'd, you know, you'd have to walk down to town to buy your, buy your food. Maybe eat a meal out, but then you'd walk back up, you know, that evening. Um, so we'd, we'd go to the pub sometimes and you'd know you had to do like a four-hour walk to the pub and a four-hour walk after you left it. We left the pub a couple of like mornings at about two in the morning, me and Ivan, and got kind of halfway back to base camp and then slept in bushes and stuff like that. But yeah, so we never got on the Torrey Travis. Again, conditions were not not great. You know, you didn't, like I was saying, you, know, you still didn't have the weather forecast. You know, you know, there's still no internet really in town. I think you could get really slow dial up, but not to, yeah. And I don't know if there were weather forecasts available, even if you had, had the internet back then, really. Um, so you're still kind of just playing it a little bit by ear, you know, looking at the pressure on your watches. And we walked up a few times to start the Travis, and, you know, you'd biffy get up early and basically never got past the Stanhart Col because you, you kind of walk up the snow and you, you get to the Col where the more technical climbing starts. And, you know, as you get to that Col, you can look over onto the ice cap. And basically, every time we kind of popped our head up, you were either just hit by the wind or you could just see, you know, a wall of clouds and, and stuff coming forward. So you'd normally hang out there for, you know, an hour or two or less while you decided, yeah, yeah, it's really crap. Um, and then we just, just went back down. But again, Bean had been out in Patagonia for like a good month before us, kind of making some film. So I think he was feeling a little bit kind of 
run down from hanging out in in squalor for for a few months before we'd got there. So he went on a little holiday to a holiday part of his holiday to Bariloche to kind of actually get some climbing and you know stuff done. So but and basically he got on the bus and left, and the weather just went really good. Because it had been bad for so long, the Torre side was just covered in snow. And as it became good, it was just all going to be stripping off it. So it was all going to be just shit, ice and snow just falling on you. All the cracks were still with snow on that side. Whereas the other side of the valley, so now looking at kind of like a west face of Fitzroy, south, yeah, southwest face of kind of Fitzroy and Ponsonot, and all those were, were a lot cleaner. They don't hold the snow in the same way. And also we didn't have Bean with us, so we didn't want to get on the Travis anyway. So me and Ivan just kind of switched to doing these, these long rock routes on the other side of the valley. I think because you didn't have the weather forecast, things were still quite, quite you know, you're quite nervous setting out on these climbs. But because I think there'd been quite a lot of people coming from that kind of Yosemite scene, were moving down the people who were you know a bit like me and Ivan who had done things like El Cap in a day you know people who were used to getting on rock routes of that sort of size and definitely in the American star case were decent at doing bits of French free and aid as well but you know and then you'd look at something like you know that, that face of once or not and it was you know it's not as steep as El Cap it's not as sustained and hard climbing as El Cap there's a lot more you know it's alpine granite there's a lot more features on it so you'd you then you're looking at these routes and saying well actually you know Rather than heading up there with bivy gear and food and all of that, I reckon we can we can just climb this in you know in a day. Um, so a few people have been doing that, but we were quite near that kind of the front of that that style of climbing. So we were getting on these routes, and you know you'd walk up to the base, you know in in your big boots, your mountain boots. But then we'd quite often just leave the mountain boots at the base of the climbers. So you'd be setting up often like you know the southwest face of Ponsonot or St Exuberi or Fitzroy as was later the case you know without even taking gloves or waterproof trousers or, or big boots with you which you know if the weather became bad would be be horrendous but you were so you're going really fast and like you know quite a small racks of gear relative to what people used to take you know one little rucksack with a litre or two of water and some you know a little bit of energy bars you know, may, yeah, maybe a duvet jacket each for be laying in, but not much else. And you're just moving so much quicker. So we were going in that style. At the same time, we weren't, you know, completely stupid. So as soon as you saw any changing weather, either, you know, looking at the pressure on your watch or seeing clouds or feeling the wind arrive, you had to be prepared to move equally quickly in the opposite direction. You know, so you had to be, you had to make that call to retreat pretty quickly. And we had a couple of times when we saw what looked like bad weather and we were just like, right, you know, go down and then that weather never you know that bad weather didn't materialize and you're like oh, we could have pushed on but you're kind of like well that's the that's the payoff you know as soon as you feel that doubt you've got to make the call to go down because if we get caught in a storm without gloves and about you know just in rock boots you're gonna you're gonna get absolutely hammered we went on points not again first me and ivan even though we'd already climbed it from the other side and we yeah we well, think we we went to do a new route on it and I think we did climb a new ramp line. So we climbed this ramp, which then kind of joined. We were trying to go direct, but it didn't. You couldn't go direct, so we went all the way up this ramp, which happened to join the Fon Rouge, Rosca, Fon Rouge. Anyway, joined that, and we went up that a little bit. And that's when we turned round because we were like, "No, the weather's, the weather's coming bad." So we upside down. We got back to the tent. So I don't know, not super late, like you know, ten, ten o'clock, midnight, something like that. Obviously, you know, you're upside down 
place and gears you go there's no fixed belay so you know you're you're equipping it you know on the way down you're having the normal epics associated with doing 15 20 whatever abseils and um, it can be quite quite gnarly but we got back to the tents and then you woke up the next day and the weather was still good um but we were like right well we can't climb today so we packed to set off again the day after so we set off at you know two in the morning and we we were we were going to go and do i think the same line but we got lost on the approach and we ended up on a different side of of the mountains so we ended up actually where the Fon Rouge started so we ended up just doing the Fon Rouge all the way to the top and we abseiled down and we managed to lose our abseils from the time before so we we equipped two descents down that side of once not about 20 foot apart <laughs> and had a few little epics with ropes getting stuck and, and stuff like that um, we got back to the tents and then you know you wake up the next day you get back to the tent at you know like midnight two in the morning something like that the next day it's good weather but you're like well we you know we can't climb today so we're Plan to go off the next day, and we did a new route on St. Exubery. So we went really, really light on that one. And then we got back to the tents, we were like, oh, well, we've, we've run out of food. You know, we've not got any more food up here. So we walked back to base camp where we didn't have any food. So we carried on, we went back to town. We were like, wow, this is amazing. We've done, you know, a couple of, couple of routes. Um, I think we were doing them all free. One of them was a completely new route. One of them was like second descent, the Fon Rouge. Um, and maybe first free ascent, I don't know. We're like, yeah, yeah, brilliant. So we went out partying and we stumbled, you know, stumbled back and went to sleep. And then at about six in the morning, Bean had got back from Baraloche. So we were like sleeping behind this hotel where I think Bean knew the owners. So we were sleeping again and Bean came around and was like kicking us awake at six in the morning. And he was like, he was just so, so keen to go climbing because obviously you know he, he's had his little break and we were like knack we were just knackered and he was like right right we'll go and do um we're going to do a new route on the west face of fitzroy and uh so like that west face of fitzroy one of the kind of the south west faces one of the biggest faces and it's 1,600 metres from where the really hard climbing starts, but it's about two, nearly two and a half thousand metres from, from the valley floor, so the bottom bit's kind of like VS maximum and maybe Scottish grade four. It's part of the new line he went to, I was like, we'll go and do this route on, on that face of Fitzroy and me and I, and we're just like, well, yeah, you know, whatever. I've, I've got quite a bad hangover, but, you know, if you're making decisions and kicking me, I'll just I'll just go with the flow. You know, it was easier to do what he wanted than, than make a fuss. We were like, right, you know, it's four hours walk till... To base camp we'll, we'll set off walking we can make four hours and we got to base camp and he's like no no we're not stopping we're not stopping at base camp we're going to carry on and we're like oh okay you know another four hours to the bivy you know across this tyrolean along the glacier and stuff so we're like right right and then four and we got to the bivy and he's like no no we're we're not stopping we're not stopping let's keep going so we like we carried on and we got to like the start of you know the base of it base of Fitzroy and we're like oh, I'm here. And he's like no 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 let's let's push on a little bit so we we pushed on a little bit and we did like the bottom I don't know, like 800 metres of this kind of easy, relatively easy climbing. And we got to this point on the ridge. I think we got there about 10 at night. And he was like, right, we'll, we'll stop here. And we're like, okay, 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 Bean, whatever you say. So we stopped there, but we, you know, we didn't really have, we had one sleeping bag. And so we kind of made this little platform with some loose rocks and snow. And we all like zipped up our jackets and got under this one, one sleeping bag. And he was like, right, we'll sleep here for a bit. Um, so we tried to get some sleep, but then he was like, right, we're going to get up at two. Um, so we went to bed at like, by the time we'd made it, and we went to bed about half, half 11. And then we got up at two 
having barely slept anyway. And he's like, right, 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 let's go. Had a bit of breakfast and just set off on this, this going on the West Face. Anyone who says they enjoy getting up, at, you know, in a cold tent at midnight or two in the morning, I think they're just lying. It's always hard to get going and, yeah, you know, you're cold and you're trying to eat. You're trying to eat as much as you can because you know, you you know, this food's here now. Let's just eat as much of this porridge or whatever that, that we can so we don't have to carry it on the climb, get as much fuel in and drink as much water. And that's all. It just feels like hard, you know, hard work. And I think, yeah, very quickly, the, the new route he wanted to do wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah, just when you go, we, we weren't quite as lightweight. We did have the big boots with us on this one. Um, I think we had like one ice axe to share, a bit more kit, and we had that sleeping bag. But, you know, we still felt pretty lightweight. And, you know, it became apparent that the, the line he wanted to do would probably require a bit of aid climbing and stuff. So we just did the, um, the Slovak route, which I think Kevin and, Kevin and Alan had tried it. They'd got pretty high on it. Silver Caro and Rollo had done, did they do it in a day? I think they did the second ascent in, oh, they did the second ascent in a single push. Yeah, I don't know how long they took, but I hadn't quite freed it. But we managed to do it free. Yeah, we did do that, which was, uh, which was kind of crap. It was, yeah, it was probably the worst route we did. Of all the routes we did, it was probably the worst one. It was just uh, pretty chossy climbing for a lot of it. Considering the length of it, it was like the top bit was good, where it joined the California route. It was quite a strong line, but it wasn't wasn't the best. It's so much of a rocking pattern; it's amazing and climbing was amazing. That was kind of like mm, fairly fairly average, but it was pretty pretty big. <laughs> and then uh, that one was a bit horrific. <laughs> it was just Bean being so keen, and we didn't oh we didn't really have any proper food, so we. We had loads of energy gels. Bean had got loads and loads of energy gels, so we had those. And he'd got some nougat. So we had energy gels and nougat. That's all we had. We were just eating energy gels and nougat. And we had some Pro Plus tablets for when we got really tired. We used to just take... Are they just caffeine tablets? Yes, yeah, so we'd just take take those when we started getting really tired. I don't know. I don't even know if that was what it was called. It was some tablets Bean gave us. God knows what he was giving us. It was probably speed. <laughs> and we got halfway down the descent. Um, so it was now... The second night, and we were still just just going for it. We hadn't barely had, you know, hadn't had much sleep, and we were just abseiling down. And we got down to like a, a bit of snow below the below the Franco route, which we'd abseiled down. So we'd abseiled down the other side of the mountain, and we were really knackered. And we had a bit of coffee, but we didn't have any coffee filters. So I remember using my Gore-Tex jacket as a coffee filter, like you know, like your in inner pocket's got like a mesh in it. So we we kind of opened my pocket and put it over this mug we had and made coffee through my pocket of my jacket. We drank this coffee and took a couple more of the tablets. And upside down, we got on the glacier. So we were just stumbling down this glacier like like idiots, basically. Yeah, we were knackered. We had a, it was kind of good, but yeah, it was hard work. So we got back to town. I think it was like 56 hours after we'd, after we'd left town. And yeah, we were fairly, fairly spent, I guess. It was a 10-day window we had, which in retrospect, you know, if you knew it was a 10-day window, you'd have you could have set off on something amazing. But every day you were like, well, this, it, it could just shit out at any point. You know, we had no no belief that it was going to be a window of more than like six hours. You know, you'd just set off like this could just, just go to shit at any moment. You weren't terrified the whole time, but the whole time you were just really aware, particularly when it was me and Ivan, because we were going going lighter. We were on slightly smaller things, me and Ivan. They were, I don't think we did anything, in, which took more than like 20 hours. Um, just in, in the pushes, but you were kind of like just the whole time you were aware that you were, you felt quite 
strung out. Because, um, you know, doing 20 abseils down, you know, relatively steep but alpine granite with a lot of kind of flakes and ledges is, you know, through a night, you know, with just your head touch on wearing your rock boots you've not got trainers, you know, it's it's quite grim and, you know, your ropes get stuck and you have to recline pitches or jumer up jammed ropes and all of all of that stuff. So, yeah, it felt quite... Yeah, it felt reasonably kind of ballsy at the time for me. I remember when we, I think it was actually on Desmachard, the last one we did, and we were abseiling down, so we were a team of three. So Ivan and, and Bean, because they were they're both bigger than me, they were pretty similar weight. So they would simulab down, and they would go first simulabbing um, with, the, you know, with the belay, with the backup in, and they'd kind of find the way. So it often took them quite a way, while well, they had to, you know, untangle the rope, find a belay, all of that. And I'd be sat on this, you know, on the belay, and it'd be dark, and I'd be cold. You know, I got up early and it was now, I think that was like a 24-hour push we did in Desmachada. And I was kind of like, oh, I could have I could have just gone to Spain. I remember sitting on one belay. <laughs> I think I was just really cold. I was probably a bit grumpy from lack of sleep and hungry. I was just on this belay in the dark with my head touch turned off, you know, to save the battery. You know, and you could just hear Ivan and Bean down, down below somewhere, but not very well. And you were kind of like a little bit lonely on this belay, a little bit strung out, a little bit scared. A little bit cold, a little bit hungry, a little bit grumpy. And I was kind of like, I, I could have just gone to Spain sport climbing. And I, you know, I could have taken my wife with me and I didn't have a kid back then. But you were kind of like, you know, I could have just gone for, to Spain for night. two really nice weeks sport climbing. My wife would be with me. We could be having a lovely time, eating nice food, staying in an apartment. And I do remember, you know, those exact thoughts. But you forget, you forget those bad bits, don't you? You remember the good bits. And when I look back at how light we went on some of the client, you know, like leaving big boots and gloves behind, it's, it's, it feels pretty ballsy. Particularly when you, you know, where you've not had that forecast saying it's going to be good for two or three days, you're kind of setting off going where it could crap out. And, you know, and you're setting off in the dark on these routes, you know, you get up at, you know, two in the morning, you know, typical alpine sort of stuff, you know, you're doing, you're approaching the dark and first few pictures in the dark. So you're not even sure when you're going to see, you know, any clouds developing. You're like, you know, we could be on, we could be on pitch 15 before we see the weather's bad and then we've got, 15 pictures of abseiling to do in in a storm i had a, a week right after my daughter was born when she was like one and a half when i went to do the north face of the eye so just the you know the classic route in winter um and i was so excited about about going i think you know like i say i think she was like she was probably like 18 months something like that so and i don't think i'd been you know i hadn't been away in that time so the you know the idea of this this holiday, I was just so excited before I went, and then I got there and I had two things happen. So one, I found this hard to believe at the time, but I missed her. I missed being away, which you know I I was doing quite a lot of the care at the time of the childcare, and she wasn't the easiest baby. And and you know you know you get you know you love your kid and you're gonna miss them, but I didn't expect to miss her kind of so quickly i expected to be like oh i miss her but it's great being here and i was like oh yeah i really kind of miss my daughter and my family this is this is weird um <laughs> and then we never got the weather to get on the north on, on the eiger um but i was kind of like i was almost glad in a in a straight i was almost like actually i'm not sure if i'm in the right the right headspace to get on on that you know it's not it's not a super big hard thing you know it's a, it was the classic route, but it's still i guess you know still Still something quite big, quite gnarly. Um, and I was just, yeah, I just didn't... I think yeah, he almost didn't want to be on it. 
not going to be did get on it, but you know, I think I was kind of like, actually, I'm, I'm not sure if, if my head's right for being here. Um, and I've done a few Alpine trips since, but I think once you, there are a lot of people who still climb amazingly bold, big stuff after they've had kids and have a family. But I was, I definitely find it affects me more than, well, more than it used to. I don't know if it affects me more or less than other people. But yeah, I find, you know, I find the idea of being away and being on something which is that, that kind of bit of dangerous and danger outside of your control, I find quite hard now. Whereas in the past, I'd have been, I guess in the past, you would just maybe not think about it. In you know, like those times in Patagonia or stuff, you just, you would think about the weather and you would think, but you wouldn't be like, oh God, what, you know, you wouldn't be going over in your head, oh God, what's going to happen if the weather gets bad and we get stuck up there and then this happened and then I'm going to end up dying. You know, that you weren't going, kind of going through that step all the time. Whereas when, once I had, had a wife and kids, it seemed like you did start to go through those steps in your head. I don't think I've ever put these two things together before actually but my you know my dad died in a climbing accident you know he died in Greenland um and you know obviously it did affect me at the time but I'd you know I'd left home so you know he he wasn't in my day-to-day life anymore you know I wasn't I didn't live at home I'd I'd lived elsewhere you know I'd, I'd started my own life and you know at the time I was able to it didn't really affect my climbing you know I was I wasn't like the you know I, I feel suddenly scared. I feel anything like that, but but you know, looking back at it, you know, particularly now, I've got a family, and and you know, going into maybe those environments where similar to where he died, you know, I guess you've got first hand experience of what it's like to be bigger people who are left behind. Um, and like I say, for me, I was I was starting my own life, so it didn't, you know, it didn't affect me on that day to day level, you know. Obviously, you think about it day to day, particularly to begin with. Um, but you know, it wasn't like I was coming home to a, a house where he suddenly wasn't, or I wasn't, you know. But you know, particularly with my mum, you know, you see, you know, I was the person who had to phone her up from Greenland and tell her that my dad, her husband, had, had died, you know. And, and you know, obviously, that's one of the most horrendous things I've had to had to do. And you know, yeah, you, you know, I see that for her, and and you can, you know, that that's horrendous. That's affected her the rest of her, her entire life. Yeah, and you know, at the time I was you know, when I made the phone call obviously it was it was it was horrendous. And there were, you know, a few points when we were still in Greenland where things were you know, where well I was you know, obviously upset. Um but there were you know, there were times when I was almost able to you know I don't know about ignore it, but you were, you know, there were times in Greenland so even right after it happened when I was I was laughing and, and joking about stuff. Um and I remember we came back to the airport and, and obviously we were meeting my my mum came to to meet us and we came into the duty free right before we got out to the to the gate where we'd meet her and Gaz probably to try and avoid seeing my mum straight away he was probably trying to hold back but he was kind of joking around with some of his stuff and I ended up joking around with him as well with some of his stuff in the duty free even though you know my mum was just right out just there just outside of that door and I think it was because you know I was able to maybe not ignore that he'd died, but, you know, I felt, I don't know, I felt like, not that I'd moved on, other things, but, you know, I was like, well, quite pragmatic about it. Maybe, you know, he's gone, it was horrible, but, you know, I've, I've still got my life. I've still got stuff to, 
to do and, and just aware that she was right outside and for her it was going to be very different she'd be going home to an empty house every night and not having him there and and that you know as soon as I, I went out through that door and, and saw her it was it was going to be very kind of real for her and it was yeah it was just like seeing it for her was looking like I liked the least a couple of weeks later I was back at uni and I was able to hang out with my mates and go climbing and and kind of like I, almost until now I feel like it hadn't really affected me but having talked about those big roots you know and not the feelings I get on big roots since I think it's since I've had the family combined with those sort of roots which a is the area where I'm a bit less comfortable but b it's it's an area you know similar sort of terrain to where he he died and I think it's probably pretty pretty obvious maybe kind of linked quite well and and yeah you know I feel like oh yeah I kind of dealt with his death quite well it didn't affect my climbing but actually I think it, it probably did affect it in in that way and also in my my kind of yeah views to to if I had an accident and left my kid and, and my wife alone. Climbing's often been a compartment in my life it's an escape from the rest of the world it's exercising control over the things you choose and letting go of control with others. It strikes me that the ability to separate and resolve these things is one aspect of what's made Ben such a good climber. That feeling at the end of a run-out, unsure of the next move, no course for retreat, and that rising panic that renders good decision-making impossible isn't so different to grief. Like many things in life, you try to take control of the things you can and learn to recognise when it's okay to let go. You've been listening to Factor 2 from UK Climbing. I'm Will Treasure. Thanks for listening. I did Parthian shot. I think I got my wife to pick my daughter up from school that day. She, But, you know, I dropped my daughter at school and, you know, I couldn't always see school from the crag, you know. I couldn't always see my house. And I was able to do that, which was a pretty bold. And I've done other bold, bold routes. So I, I've not found that issue on rock routes at all. So I don't have that kind of that process in my head and I guess maybe it's because it's in the steps are much more in your control you know you're choosing to do a bold climbing you're choosing to commit to it or choosing to make those moves and yeah you know there's objective dangers potentially in like a hold can snap or you know whatever but they're, they're much more in you know much more controllable well when I was moving into those those alpine environments which also I know a lot less well it's not my natural you know I started off as a rock climber and I've done I've done bits of these snowy alpine things but it's not you know, it's not where I'm from. And I guess we got that mix of being slightly out of your comfort zone and, and a lot more objective danger just didn't, you know, didn't seem to sit well with me. Factor 2 now has a Facebook page if you'd like to find some bonus content or a little bit more from behind the scenes and what's coming up. <laughs>